Hello and welcome to the BoulderCast podcast. This is your host, Andy, and we also have joining with us, Ben. Welcome, everybody. And for the third time, we have Matt joining us as well. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. And I... You're almost a regular. And I just moved, or just returned back to Boulder. Um, I was in St. Louis for two weeks. I returned um, the day after Memorial Day. And so it's good to be back live and on the air in the actual studio. Yeah, we don't have to worry about the recording issues we had last week. It wasn't the same without you, Andy. I'm sure the listeners were not liking your voice. <laughs> so we apologize for the sound problems last week. It should be much better this week. So what have you guys been up to this week? Not much? So I ran, Apparently. The, I ran the Boulder Boulder on Monday. And... um. Did pretty well. Uh, I was happy to see that it was warmer than expected for for the run itself. I was praying that no rain would come, and sure enough, that confirmed during the morning hours at least. So uh, yeah, I was I was very pleased overall, and there were tons of people, and I started a little bit later than I wanted to, which it cost me in the end because I started with all the walkers and oh, man. that's a lesson learned for me <laughs> for future boulder boulders that I run it. Be sure you start the race early if you want to jog the entire thing. How many walkers would you say were in your way at the start? Thousands. Thousands? <laughs> wow. Thousands. I jogged from start to finish in the midst of walkers. So, yeah. Did you know how many applicants there were this year, or participants? To my understanding, there were over 60,000 applicants, but again, that's just an estimate. I'm not exactly sure what the number is. Okay, just an estimate? Yeah. I looked it up, and <laughs> the Boulder Boulder is apparently the second biggest 10K race in the country. So what's the biggest? This website I was looking at it said it was Atlanta. Apparently they have one. It was just a few thousand more than Boulder Boulder. Like the Boulder Boulder was rated to have fifty thousand. This Atlanta one was fifty three thousand or something. Oh wow! So if we got more than that, then we're beating Atlanta. Well, my my registration number was about fifty five thousand. Oh man! So so yeah. So based on that, eat it, Atlanta. Eat it. <laughs> so we beat Atlanta in this case, <laughs> at least on this year. Maybe next year we won't get there, but this year. Hey, if they came despite all the weather, <laughs> they'll be here next year for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and we were and we were afraid for a little while that perhaps it might rain during the Boulder Boulder, but of course, no. just it, it went away just in time for this event, and it turned out great. So. Perfect, perfect weather, yeah. Perfect I was, weather. I was talking to my former PhD advisor uh, today, and he was saying it was just perfect weather for running. I mean. Usually it's pretty moist and humid and temperatures maybe in the 80s for race day. <laughs> oh, yeah. But this this time of year it was, you know, in the 50s starting out. So it was gorgeous. For so so he ran in it? He did. He did. 56 minutes. Wow. Too. Did he beat his own age? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we don't have to know how old he is. But well, he, he beat me. He didn't get the – oh, yeah. He, he – I got a time of 105, one hour and five minutes. 
So he beat me by almost 10 minutes. Yes. That's, that's still pretty good for your first time. My first time. It was not real training, though, either. Uh, eh, decent training. I mean, I, I didn't... I didn't run the entire distance at any time during the training, but... That could be an issue. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Never running the six miles. Right. Not really running in Boulder, either. I was I was running in Westminster, usually on some flat terrain, so I'm sure that might have factored as well. Yeah. Definitely when you're chugging up Folsom. Oh, yeah. To get in the home stretch, you're feeling it. Good old Folsom. Well, when I ran it the first two years, uh, what I used to train was, like, to run west on the Boulder Creek uh-huh. and run all the way until you get to the mountains or the foothills, and then you come all the way back because that gives you like a test for going up gradually uphill, and then you come back and you can do it much faster. Too. <laughs> oh right! <laughs> I feel like it was much flatter than I what I was anticipating. It's what like I didn't really feel much of an incline throughout the entire race until Folsom came. And then, you oh, know, yeah. where yeah. else would there be inclines? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere crazy, does it? I think it's near. Does it go down Broadway? Near near Broadway, it's like its highest point, I believe. Yeah, on the not, hill. Not on Broadway, but near there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of, you know, I don't know exactly where, but <laughs> I don't know the route either. <laughs> we were biking on it a few weeks ago, I believe, maybe a month ago. I don't know. I just know there was a lot of road closures. Yeah. In Boulder, and I was trying to drive to my barbecue. Which barbecue? Oh, just at a friend in Denver. But it was hard to get out of Boulder. There was a lot of traffic, and they had there was construction. Apparently, people working on Memorial Day. Yeah. The construction was going on on the foothills, so you couldn't make a right turn. So you had to get all the way out to like 76, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever the next road is. To get down to 36? <laughs> speaking it's crazy. Of, speaking of uh, construction, um, Highway 36, which goes from basically northwest Denver into Boulder, they've actually kind of completed about half of it, I would say. I mean, they still have the Boulder section to kind of replace, but... I don't know. I think it's more than half. Yeah. I think we're going to be getting that done soon. <clears throat> which is good news. Excuse me. Yeah, and you can use... Um, the you can test out the express lanes for free. Did you see that? I saw that. I can't. <laughs> still too afraid to try it. <laughs> what do you mean you're too afraid to try? It? You think you'd still get a ticket yeah, <laughs> even though it says free? Yeah. <laughs> Here's my question. Too cautious. When when do you guys think the light rail going from Denver to Boulder will be completed? Oh, is that still set? It's still in. They're still talking about it. I've heard that. Plans are more in the works currently for a route from Denver to Westminster, but I'm I haven't heard anything back that's solidified to go from Denver to Boulder. No. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That'd be, that'd be Where great. are you gonna put that? Along thirty six. Along thirty six. Mm-hmm. Like in the center or like on one of the sides? Not gonna be any room in the center. It, At this once it's elevated. From what I saw, I think it's gonna be on on the side if. If I remember correctly, I think it's going to be on the east side of 36. Okay. There's a bike lane there. They just put that brand new bike bike path in. Yeah. That's on the east side. Well, it goes back and forth, but a lot of it's on the east side, so yeah. tear that up. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to try that bike lane out when it comes available. Oh, I know. That's going right. to be fun, yeah. I see where it's already going to hook up down there on that south boulder 
trail. Kind yeah, of the week yeah. that we used to go on. Where that dirt trail is. Yeah, the, the bridge is gone now because it flooded last year and they still haven't fixed it. But it's going to go right <laughs> into there. And they're probably going to pave something to connect it to the rest of the border. Yeah. I would imagine. Or to go all the way down and connect to the Bear Creek apartments or whatever. Yeah, I think it would be fun like to drive your car somewhere in like northwest Denver. And then start out in Boulder. And then bike all the way to the car. And then you can drive all the way back to Boulder. <laughs> yeah. For us amateurs. <laughs> I don't know which way would be hillier. I guess Denver is technically downhill. <laughs> net <laughs> net elevation less. But it's, barely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. And you guys have anything else going on this week? Well. Boulder, Boulder. Outside of the Boulder, Boulder, I um, finally packed up all my stuff at my cubicle at school. Uh-oh. So I won't be going there anymore. Officially not a student. Officially not a student. As soon as so. you pack that up. How's that feel? It felt kind of weird, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to start my new job. So. Yeah, it'll be fun and exciting for a while. Yeah. I remember packing up my office. It's a That's sad day. It's a sad day, yeah. You no longer have no responsibilities, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but it's okay. One day I'll get there. Yeah, you <laughs> get there soon, man. You will, you will. Yeah. Doctor Steiner's coming. Just a matter of time. Three, three years, three years. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if three years comes. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure what my timetable looks like, or for now, but uh. Who knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll make significant progress in my research and I can uh, yeah hopefully. plug and chug through in, in three years and get a PhD. So we'll just see what happens. In the meantime, just uh just uh, plugging and chugging through and plug enjoying, and chug it. enjoying my time here at the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, um, as the train goes in the background. As I sip my, my nice Baileys, um, just want to remind you that the BoulderCast podcast is a product of BoulderCast.com, and we provide expert weather discussion specific to Boulder County. Um, you can find our podcast on iTunes, or also your favorite um, podcasting app, or you can just basically go to our website and find it there. Um, if you're on our website, just look, look for the subscribe widget. On the right-hand side to follow our blog if you want to receive email notifications for any kind of posts we update on storms or even the week the week yeah the week ahead subscriber so. base is growing Bouldercast is pretty popular yeah so you better get in on that um, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Bouldercast so so with that we first wanted to the way that this podcast is gonna go we're gonna talk about the previous weather of the previous week and then we'll go into the upcoming forecast and touch on the outlook for June. And then we'll talk about an interesting study that was done on um, a quite um, um, destructive tornado in 2008 over northeast Colorado. Sounds good to me. Does that sound good to you, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. Love talking about the weather. Yeah, for sure. So for the past week... Yeah, what happened over this past week, which was basically Memorial Day into the 29th of May. Well, we uh, 
we finally started to see a, a break in the pattern that we were stuck in over the past few weeks, which obviously many of us were looking forward to when this time would actually occur. And the models were kind of hinting to this pattern shift, if you will, but there was still a little bit of uncertainty on when that when that would actually happen, and sure enough, we started to see it. I don't know if I would completely call it a pattern shift as much as it was Boulder missing out on some storms. What do you think? I mean, we still had the afternoon storms every day. And they were pretty widespread. It's yeah. just they didn't happen to hit Boulder every day. But instead, but instead of the uh, instead of the upslope regime that we were really stuck in, yeah, over the past few weeks, we started to shift away from that upslope regime and started to see more of a westerly flow off the mountains and in into the uh, into the plains, which is which yeah. seems to be more suited for the the thunderstorms that we get in the afternoon out here. And Matt, like a westerly flow, say like, which is like a downslope flow over Boulder County, like what does that do for like Boulder? Like if we want to explain to the general public out there, right? Like, like a downslope flow, is that well, con is that conducive to thunderstorm development? Well, in in the morning, um, typically the the downslope flow is a uh, is is a is a drying flow because sink. Typically, when you have mm -hmm. sinking air, it's air that is drying and it's warming. But as you get as you get that daytime heating throughout the day, your yeah. your air typically, as it comes off the mountains, will then want to rise, and and with and with that, you have you have you have thunderstorms that can form from this from this rising air. That can essentially form these cumulonimbus clouds and can dump some significant amounts of precipitation over a very short period of time. But again, this isn't a widespread thing. Usually, it's it's many times this is these storms can be isolated, can be hit or miss, kind it of. It can be hit or miss, and sure enough. So I think yeah, that was a big player for why Boulder missed out a lot. Because most of the action was just east of Boulder. Right. Because we had a good southwesterly flow. And you're right, downslope tends to inhibit lifting. Right. Yeah. And I think maybe that was and part counteract of... the daytime heating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that was probably part of why we tended to warm up a little bit into the middle of the week. Um, we got into the 70s, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, I believe. And we had a little bit more sunshine compared to... The previous weeks as yes well. absolutely and i know most of you guys out there were probably you know thankful that we were finally seeing some of the sunshine because i know i know the three of us were wondering when when we would actually see the sun pop up again and <laughs> in, in full force i know i was really trying to think when was the last time i actually used my sunglasses <laughs> normally I know when I when used them. Actually, so so this past weekend I was in uh, I was in Glenwood Springs, and on the way we took a we took a back route just to do some scenic 
you know, do some scenic driving, and we went over Independence Pass, and I wore my sunglasses at the top of the pass because of all the snow that I saw uh-huh. up there. Were you above the fog, or was it just sunny everywhere? No, it wasn't sunny anywhere. East of the Divide? Oh, you just wore them? Uh, no, well, snow? I wore them because of because of all the snow. It's just mm-hmm. it the snow reflects all that light, and and so it gets into your eyes really easy. And, yeah, uh, I will. So I have to have sunglasses anytime you're near snow. <laughs> when it's a blizzard, <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge difference when you're when you're skiing. You take off your goggles or your glasses, mm-hmm. and it's like whoa, and then you put it back on. You're like. Ah, yeah, <laughs> it's like refreshing. <laughs> so yeah, but but again, it was it was just nice to see the sun again finally. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then as we went to Thursday and Friday, we had another trough coming in, um, kind of from the north, um, over Idaho and and Wyoming, mm-hmm. that kind of like drifted south southeast, and it brought like a cold front through Boulder County on Friday mm-hmm. um, this morning. Yeah. And so we got a little bit more precipitation, but overall, for the official observation station for Boulder County, uh, for the city of Boulder, uh, which is the Boulder Airport, only recorded just about a tenth of an inch. So, But there were some spots that had close to a quarter and maybe even a half an inch. Um, Yeah, maybe half an inch in the far eastern parts of Boulder. Mm -hmm. Because that storm really just blew up right over there. You guys had some small hail. Yeah, we over had that some, way that you said. Yeah, we had some pea-sized hail on the east campus of University of Colorado. I don't remember ever seeing this much hail. Um, you mean compared to previous like years? Here, yeah. Since I've been here, I, there's been hail like ten times this month that I've seen. Remember that one <laughs> big hailstorm a few years ago? That storm came in from from the northeast. Wait, you mean the monsoon one? Yeah, it was a monsoon one. In 2010? It was when when your friend Bobby from oh, Pen- Bobby Pennsylvania was here. Yeah, that was 2013. And it was like, like quarter size hail. Oh, wow. Yeah. For like 15 minutes or so, maybe. Quarter, yeah. Nickels and quarters. Well, yeah. Last year, before that was the- my uh, atmospheric chemistry final, mm-hmm. I was. Uh, I was just looking out the window and saw I saw hailing for a short period of time outside of Folsom Field. Mm-hmm. So that was that was probably the first time I had seen hail since moving out to Colorado. Yeah, so, but I know obviously last year there were a lot of uh, significant hail events, especially once you get out to uh, Commerce City and Aurora. So yeah. And sometimes, in some cases, large hail, which is why they had a lot of the car dealerships out there had the hail sale, which was due to the damage from hail on the vehicles. Yeah, I know I have a friend that lives in, he used to live in Aurora. He had really bad hail damage in probably 2013. Oh, from that hailstorm. Yeah, I don't know which one it was, because they get so much hail in Aurora, out East Denver, but... He had so much hail damage, and he got a quote on it. His insurance company gave him like five thousand dollars to fix it. <laughs> wow! Geez. But yeah, I mean. So, what's the biggest hailstones you guys have ever seen in life? Or in in your life, in person. We've seen. We've all seen them on TV, of course. I don't think I've ever seen over an inch. It might have been the twenty thirteen storm in yeah. Colorado. That's been the biggest for me. I think I've seen bigger than that. 
I've might... seen like mini golf balls in Pennsylvania. I might have seen that in St. Louis once too, like golf ball size, but very uh, maybe, maybe ping just pong ball. Maybe just once. <laughs> what do you know. think? Uh, probably dime size. <laughs> what? I haven't been exposed to I much. I saw dime size like life. last week. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, I saw some dimes like I, two weeks ago. So this kind of leads into kind of a question, maybe like, what parts of the country you would you, would you expect to see the 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 greatest size of hail? Um, I think moisture is part of it, and also mm-hmm. temperature, obviously, as well. Right. Um, so you need and, the biggest updrafts, right? Yeah, really to support sp- those big hailstones. So mm-hmm. where are you going to get that at? You need uh, definitely a lot of instability. Like a cape. A lot of moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, and also cold temperatures. Um, like the high elevations out here. Like over Colorado or conducive to that right yeah and that's a big point that's a big player in why we had so much hail the last two weeks is you know it was just in the 50s (laughs) so the hail wasn't as melting as quick like if we had the same storm in the summer then i'm sure there wouldn't be hail because it's 90 degrees it's gonna melt way faster exactly so that's probably why you didn't see as much in alabama and yeah you have like a higher freezing level exactly Mm -hmm. i i in the 20 years that I lived in Alabama, I would say I saw hail a couple times. I guess it's just too warm. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just too warm. I mean, you you do get these hailstorms a lot, but then as they as they get displaced from the updraft, they they precipitate down and they're mm. they're shrinking as they yeah. as they sink. So obviously, by the time they reach the ground, most of them are the size of peas. Usually, they're not. They're not, they don't meet severe criteria, which would be, by definition, three-fourths of an inch in diameter hail, so. Yeah. So, yeah, temperature is one of them. You really want, like, cold temperatures, and you also want a really strong updraft Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to get really large-sized hail. And I believe moisture um, is, like, another factor. It's like if you have really high moisture in the cloud, I think it tends to... Um, basically increase the weight of the cloud right. and weaken the updraft slightly to um, the hail not to be suspended long enough to, to grow in size. Right. So you don't want too fast to an updraft. Otherwise the hell the stones are shot out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? It slows it down just slightly? Well, it slows it down the high moisture content mm-hmm. and then that will reduce the time that the hail is up in the cloud so it can't keep um, growing in size when you know when, when it's being suspended and um, accumulating more um, super cooled water mm-hmm. okay. and so right. it just like falls falls to the ground as a lower as a smaller size hail compared to maybe golf ball size or larger but I, I probably temperature and the updraft strength is much larger than the moisture component, I would believe. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know sometimes also you can have you can have hailstones that go through multiple updrafts, which essentially allow for the hailstone to stay within the cloud for a longer period of time. So say it experiences the first updraft and then it wants to precipitate down, but then another updraft takes takes over for the previous updraft and 
allows mm-hmm. it to grow some more, and so that that cycle just repeats itself over and over until enough until an updraft doesn't take it, take it over, and then it just falls down. So, so should we describe to the public like what is an updraft? Maybe they don't. So basically, an updraft. If Matt wants to describe it. So, so, yeah. so essentially, an up an updraft is 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 vert is basically vertical motion that that occurs whenever whenever you have un whenever you have unstable air like warm and moist air warm warm and moist air at the surface and and cool and cool air aloft so so tip so typically the way the way we describe an updraft is 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 the right is the rising motion of this air that is basically giving giving rise to these cumulonimbus clouds and starting the and starting the evolutionary process mm-hmm. of thunderstorms. Yeah, that's a good explanation. You know, the updraft feeds in the surface flow that has all the moisture, keeps continually fe- feeding the cloud. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's just part of the circulation. Right. Yeah. And the downdraft comes from the falling rain and. And hail and the cold air, other, other the rain cold air, yeah. The rain cold air, right? Yeah, exactly. Vital That's... components of a storm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So look at the severe report today. Did you see how many severe thunderstorm warnings there were for our area today? How many? Well, I don't know, but there was a lot. <laughs> and it looks like out of all of that. There was only one report of hail today. It was only one oh, inch. Wow. One oh. inch near Pueblo. Oh wow. <laughs> there's there's at least half dozen, maybe more severe thunderstorm warnings. Probably more for the various cells that popped up. We've definitely been getting, you know, a few reports of either severe wind or severe hail or even even a report of a weak tornado. Pretty much every know, day. Over the past over the past week or so every single day so it's and you know this is this is something that we that we typically expect out here at this time of the year especially east of the the flat arts so yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah. so with that um before we go into whether boulder actually made it into the record books for may um we forgot to mention at the beginning that Joseph wasn't able to join us for the podcast. Aww. We miss him dearly. He had some commitment that we're not sure what he was doing. But um, Joseph? We hope he can join us next week. Leave us a comment and tell us what you were doing, buddy. <laughs> we need to know. We're, we're making some guesses, but we're not really sure. Yeah, we don't so, want to be guessing. Yeah. We're, we'll just... Leave it up to him to tell us. Hopefully, up. yeah. Hopefully, yeah. see you next week, maybe. Yeah. On the podcast. Well, let's hope so. Next one. Mm-hmm. And so Ben, so um, we're roughly near the end of May. We have a couple days left. Did Boulder uh, break the record for the coldest and wettest May on record? Well, sadly, no. We were hoping for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a chance at it from the last podcast. There was a. St- an outside chance we'd be the wettest, but this week ended up being relatively dry in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Me and Matt didn't like that. No, not <laughs> but at all. But it was nice to see the sun. 
but right now we're sitting at only 7.82 inches of rain and snow, melted snow for the month. Which ranks us where? Or am I amongst the record books? Well, we are now number five on number the fifth wettest May. And we have an outside chance of becoming the fourth. Okay. <laughs> we need about a quarter inch before in the next two days, but it's unlikely. But wow, yeah, the average is only three inches and we already have seven point eight two. Yeah. So we really almost well more than doubled. Yeah. What we're expecting. And along with this rain, it's been pretty cold. So we were also approaching the coldest May. And at one point, we were actually the second coldest. But this last week has been pretty warm. Well, back closer to average, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we actually hit 70 degrees every day this week. So what is... Except for Monday. So what is the average high for this time of year? Like in late May? 72. 72? <clears throat> so, yeah, we were... Right around there, pretty much all week in the low, low to mid seventies, and yeah, but we're not gonna be getting the coldest May, but we are close. We're only about two degrees off, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you average it over a month, that's pretty. It's a pretty significantly warmer month than it needs to be. Right. But. Yeah. Yep. So we are. We are. Ha are currently in the coldest May since 1946. So since World War Two almost. Wow. That is impressive. There hasn't been a colder yeah. month of May. It's pretty wow. amazing. But Yeah, you think how hard it is to break these cold records though. You know, with the background, you know, warming from climate change or whatever. Yeah. Global warming, so it's hard to actually get these records. I've even come close to a record that's lasted that long. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ben, were you saying this like several weeks ago that actually May is the wettest month for Boulder? Or yeah. is that another month? We know it's May. So it May is our wettest month. So it may surprise some of our listeners that actually May is our, our wettest month of the year, which caught me me by surprise. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep, it just barely beats out April. Well, I mean, you know, so, some of our most co our costliest flood events were not in the month of May. I mean, obviously we've had a couple that were up there, but the the Big Thompson flood was a late July flood event, and the uh, the most recent Boulder flood back in 2013 was a September event. So yeah, and I think yeah, I think Boulder's pretty lucky to come out of this month with very minor flooding damage. Right. I say mm -hmm. I didn't hear it too much. In the way of flooding. Right. We're I mean, de yeah, we're definitely not hoping for, you know, a lot a lot of rain over sh over short periods of time. We we have to remember that the that the ground doesn't really soak up the rain very well out out here out here in the front range. Not especially not, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. yo, we didn't get more than 1.3 inches of rain on any day. Well, 1.6 inches of rain on any day. So it was pretty well distributed. Yeah. You know, almost every day was pretty low, less, a quarter inch or less. But there mm -hmm. were a few days where we had over an inch and then a couple days where we had over half an inch. But, you know, it was, we got lucky that it was well spread out across the entire Absolutely. month. Absolutely. 
Sure, it made you know, it made it feel like Mobile or Oregon <laughs> <laughs> or Seattle <laughs> or Seattle, but you know, we didn't have major flooding. Yeah. So yeah, right now we're sitting at six point two degrees below average for May. That's impressive. As an average temperature. Wow. And that's, that's really cool. And as a result of all the moisture and cool temperatures, it's spectacularly green for Boulder. Yeah, it is. Reminds me of Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> it is very green. Yeah, and we're actually right now only one degree warmer than the entire month of April. Wow. So April was almost as warm as May, which is crazy considering. Right. It's an entire month later. should be well warming up by this point. Well, in the month of in the months of March and part of April, I mean, we were talking about bone dry conditions, even possibly in entering into a drought with significant fire dangers, and we were yeah. seeing we were already seeing temperatures into the 80s at that time. So things exactly. things change in a very short time period. Yeah, as we saw. Yeah, so that was so we were still in an El Nino. A week on Nino all winter. So, what do you think happened in March and April? Um, I mean, we showed we talked about it a couple, last time that there's not much temperature correlation and there's not really much moisture correlation other than their big storm events. Yeah. But at least for our area, I know the mountains have been getting a good amount of snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It could be the North Pacific Ocean. There's this. Um, decadal oscillation known as the Pacific Decadal Oscillation. Yeah. Um, and it shifted kind of from its cold phase um, into this past winter into a really strong positive or warm phase. And so the, what the warm phase um, indicates is you have really warm temperatures just off the coast of California and parts of um, Alaska and off Washington State. Mm -hmm. And that uh, changes the strength of the Aleutian low pressure system, which is just in the Gulf of Alaska. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that played a role, I'm not exactly sure, but that's one of the large drivers, at least for the Western U.S. Right. So with that, <laughs> almost. <laughs> so we're already up to 16 inches of rain, or 16 inches of precip for this year, and our average is 20. So we only need four more inches to get up to average. Yeah. Oh, so we're actually below average so far? Nope. We are above average, but we only twenty is for the whole year. Oh. Okay. So for the twenty right. the whole entire calendar year we're only four inches shy of that. And I think we're gonna probably get that pretty soon. I think it's safe to say that we'll uh, we'll get to twenty inches by the end of the summer <laughs> at least. Yep. <laughs> and this year's actually been kind of it's kinda of been like a roller coaster. In January we had Less than half an inch of precip, and then in April we had all that snow. If you guys remember, yeah, yeah, it was just almost a record-setting snowfall month, and we had almost four inches of precip that month, and then it was back down to less than half an inch for March. That was when it was warm. We had our 80s, and then April was the first part. Of April was dry, but then the end it really picked up with the precip. Absolutely, and we got four and a half inches. So. We're doing pretty good, and then yeah. maybe even that. Yeah. <laughs> Which she didn't think would be possible. No, but. definitely not. All right. But you know what? Records were meant to be broken. That's right. Yep, yep. 
So looking forward, I guess, what do we have for looking towards the first week of June? Yeah, if you like what we had this past week in terms of more sunshine, I think you'll really enjoy this weekend um, going into the end of May and then even beginning early next week for the beginning of June. Um, so the trough that moved over us um, this Friday, this past Friday, um, we'll be moving out this coming weekend mm-hmm. and we'll see a weak ridge um, of high pressure, which a ridge of high pressure usually indicates um, sunny skies um, and stable air. Um, we'll be moving over a Saturday into Sunday and the upper levels of the atmosphere will be primarily from uh, west-northwest, as as Ben um, cuddles the cat. Just <laughs> <laughs> we'll want some attention. It'll be primarily from a west-northwesterly direction in the upper levels. Okay. And so with that, the actual the weather service um, here in Boulder had talked about the potential for some afternoon cloud development of some um, potential monsoon-type moisture. Oh, wow. Um, not really the monsoon, but... Um, could be some storm development in the high country in the high country that would potentially lead to some cloud cover over Boulder County over the weekend um, that may lead to temperatures not rising as as high as they could because over the weekend we're going to have relatively downslope flow um, which is going to lead to a warming um, mm-hmm. and drying out of the air mass so we should see 80s by Sunday and uh, as that ridge kind of strengthens mm-hmm. and we'll have like a trough coming into um, California on Monday and that trough's going to roughly stay to um, the west northwest of Colorado in the early part of the coming week next week which will be Monday Tuesday time frame so that will indicate roughly west southwesterly flow through most of the levels of the atmosphere from like the surface up to about 30,000 feet, and there's actually, we'll, we'll see downslope flow um, uh, Monday and Tuesday, both a lot of the large-scale um, weather forecast models are indicating kind of downslope flow, although Ben is kind of shaking his head. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, we're pretty much right in the middle of that ridge, right? I mean, it's going to be pretty weak downslope. So do you think conditions may even be calm on on, on those days where we're under the ridge? I mean, I don't think it'll be significant downslope. Not significant. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a good day to go hiking if there wasn't ridiculous amounts of snow <laughs> up there. But <laughs> um, I was looking at the... But um, yeah, Tuesday starts to get some better downslope. Yeah, it looks like... Tuesday will be the warmest day, um, at least of the beginning of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should be well into the 80s on Tuesday. I don't want to go out on a limb, but what? could we maybe reach 90? I don't want to say it, but <laughs> probably a good chance for upper 80s. Really? I hope so. I was looking at the... I love 80s. I love upper 80s. I was looking at the GFS model, which is the Global Forecast System model, and it shows with the southwesterly flow basically um, from California all the way to Colorado, southwesterly flow, and that 
continues to invect in very dry air mm -hmm. into the state uh, Monday into Tuesday. And so that's going to really prohibit um, clouds and moisture potential. Yeah. Um, oh. And so I think that should potentially lead to a really warm day on Tuesday. Now, whether that verifies, that will depend on the strength and the location of the jet, I mean, of the of the trough. If it's a little more, if the trough is a little more south, yeah. it could be potentially cooler. Is this a wave cloud signature? Yeah, Ben is pointing to mm -hmm. um, some vorticity um, on the uh, one of the forecast models. So vorticity is kind of um, indicator. What is it, Ben? Well, just an indicator of cyclonic motion, which is basically counterclockwise in the atmosphere. In the northern hemisphere, yes. In the northern hemisphere. And so that's interesting. It's overnight. And so one of this this one model that Ben is looking at is showing a signature for yeah. potentially a wave cloud development, which is usually an indicator of um, downslope flow or good. Um, yeah, so that could put our chances of getting to 90. But that was Monday night, so by Tuesday, that that's gone. Tuesday looks really sunny, yeah, like you said. So who knows? Maybe we, we, will, got, we will see. It's a good chance. Right. Maybe the residual mo uh, ground moisture will keep us a little cooler. Yeah, so. that's, that's a good point because the Weather Service um, discussed that in their weather discussion. Um, the two things, they mentioned cloud cover and the soil moisture being some prohibitors to a really warm um, Monday and Tuesday, mm -hmm. um, which is very valid. Right. For, we've been in such a wet pattern, and um, yeah. maybe one of you, either Ben or Matt, can explain why soil moisture would actually lead to a cooler daytime temperature compared to very lack of soil moisture. So there's two things, right? So we also we have the effect of soil moisture adding to the actual moisture of the atmosphere, which helps to feed the clouds. Mm -hmm. So that's going to keep your temperatures down. And what's the other big one? Well, it has to be. It has to be whenever the moisture get when it when it gets heated, it it produces evaporative cooling from the surface up. Exactly. Which is going to contribute to the cooling of our uh, of our temperatures. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's so it's basically going to lower what the maximum temperature potential is for a given day. And so that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. So the sun's energy is not going to be used to be heating the surface. It's going to be used to evaporate that water that's Correct. in the ground to dry it out. So yeah, so there's two effects there that we'll be seeing going on as we move forward. Yeah. That's a good explanation. It's a good ridge though. Looks pretty promising. Yeah. Biggest ridge we've seen in a while. It really has. <laughs> I mean, it's but it's it's welcome. <laughs> but still short lived, as the models are indicating. Yeah. Well, you know, as my as much as we welcome, you know, the sunshine and everything. I mean, we we don't want to go straight from significant rainfall back to a drought. So we'll we'll take. We'll take a nice balance of, you know, precipitation. Definitely. Yeah, I think and we'll, we'll talk about that a little, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, look for June. Yeah. So if you really want to get outside and go hiking, I'd say Monday and Tuesday is probably your best bet. I know. I'll be outside, hopefully. 
getting some outdoor activities in. Absolutely. <laughs> Seems like the last, uh, you know, the last month there's been a few nice days here and there, but never coincided with the weekend. And hopefully I can finally play a softball game on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe that field won't be muddy. No. <laughs> and they won't cancel it again. Huh? Hopefully not this week. We've already been canceled three times. <laughs> so, so with that trough, um, that's going to give us the really strong warming Monday and Tuesday. It's going to try and um, drift south, southeast um, as we go into the latter half of the week, I believe. Yep. Um, and that will help to kind of change the flow of direction, both at the surface and in the upper levels, um, potentially to a more slightly easterly, which is like an upslope component for Boulder County, um, which is a little bit more conducive for clouds and precipitation. Um, but it looks somewhat subtle, and it looks like it could be a variety of, you know, your scattered or isolated storms. Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on that, guys? It looked like the best chance for um, precipitation for Boulder um, County looked to be towards Thursday, Friday time frame. But again, depending on the location of that upper level trough. Yeah, end of the week's looking wetter. <laughs> but, but again, could be scattered, so... Yeah, your downslope signatures in the lee trough. So... Yeah. I think it'll be still pretty warm despite some of those cloud clouds mm -hmm. and precip. But yeah, I think I think certainly we we could see some uh, isolated variety showers and thunderstorms. I mean, you still have you still have some uh, some lower level dry air advecting in. So the qu the question is how much how much instability are we going to be able to see get driven up? In, into the upper levels of the atmosphere to support thunderstorm development. And I think we've been seeing a lot of high base stuff through the week. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so we won't have any tropical downpours, I don't think. Right. Just some light rains, lightning. Right. But I don't know. Which? What do you think? Yeah, did you look I, at the precipitable water? I did, yes. What it were those like, looking like? Um, so your Monday and Tuesday time frame, when you have the really strong downslope conditions, not yeah. I don't want to say really strong, but when you have your general downslope flow, uh -huh. it's going to really advect in a lot of dry air from the desert southwest. Um, and as that trough kind of digs southward, it tends to bring a little bit more Gulf um, of Mexico moisture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the lower A little bit north and northwest um, into parts of eastern Colorado. So the moisture looks to increase in the latter half of the week. Thursday, Thursday, Friday, and maybe even next week, Saturday. Um, so that mm. would be the best chance for storms, I would believe. Right. Um, and actually, there could be a potential, maybe, um, it's really way too far out to even discuss <laughs> it, but there could be some potential for some severe weather across eastern Colorado, mm -hmm. definitely east of Boulder County, but um, there was potential of a combination of both instability and wind shear. Right leading to potential severe activity. Yeah. Um, yeah, that looks like a good day. Thursday. Which we but. can discuss later in discussing um, uh, one of the tornadoes in 2008. Yeah. But We don't worry about severe weather too much <laughs> here in Boulder. Yeah. So. We're satisfied with our pea-sized hail. That's <laughs> 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 all you can hope for. 
anything else we want to discuss for the week ahead before we um, go into a discussion about what we expect for the month of June um, across Colorado and even for Boulder? What do you think about the snow potential? Because I know A Basin is open, I saw, until for two more weeks, they said. Yeah. They like definitely open on weekends. Middle, till the middle of June, they're open due to the fact that they've received significant <laughs> snowfall in the month of May. Yeah, what did I see? 50, was it 50 That's inches? That's what I saw, 50 inches. Or maybe I saw what you posted. <laughs> but 50 some inches? Um, yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no very, very big event. So uh, just uh, one more question about the forecasts, actually. Um, do you, uh, would you expect any potential for mountain snow over, over the mountains in the yeah, this coming week? that's what I was getting to. I'll confess I didn't take a huge look at that when I look at the, the forecast models. Okay. I don't think there's um, any way we can have I mountain think, snow. I think the potential is much lower because right. it's we, way have, too warm. we have much warmer temperatures. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might snow in the 14ers. Yeah, definitely really high elevation. It would be right. not much, I would say. Yeah, so <clears throat> looks like looks like the snow on uh, Arapaho Basin may be uh, starting to melt. Yeah. This week, so if you're if you're a skier, then you might want to take advantage of your of the skiing this weekend if it's not too busy out there. Because I heard last weekend was extremely busy. Oh well, yeah, they're probably they're probably wow. in there. They're the only ski resort open right now. Yeah, like who doesn't <laughs> want to ski in June? <laughs> when you ski in June? One day I promise to myself that I will do it, but it won't be this year. Just mm-hmm. to say I did it. <laughs> what, June? Yeah, June. Hopefully it, hopefully it works out. I don't know. With your uh, bathing suit on? <laughs> yeah, that's right. With shorts. You almost have to. Jazz. <laughs> if we're in the 80s, they'll be, what, probably in the mid-50s? 50s, maybe 60s. 60s at 11,000? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> that's just like a summer day. Pretty much. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, that'd be a fun skiing day. It would be, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so what do we think for June? So before we go into June, so oh, yeah, just a, a brief synopsis. So overall, next week we expect um, easily into the 80s Monday and potentially um, upper 80s to maybe 90 on Tuesday. We don't want to go out on a limb there, but um, oh. but temperatures will drop as we go into Thursday and Friday into the 70s um, with a better poten- potential for storms. Um, and then for the outlook for June... Um, ben, what do you what do you see? So the Climate Prediction Center, which is part of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, um, they issue monthly to seasonal um, outlooks for temperature and precipitation for much of the country, and we're focusing on Colorado. Yeah. So just like we talked about last month, they publish these maps where they basically come up with percentages for what your part of the countries are going to see. So just kind of their gut feelings and what the models are showing and what the statistics show and the excision of El Nino goes into this as well. But So they are <laughs> showing that there is a greater than 40% chance that will be below average in temperature okay. for the month of June. Right. 
and that there will be greater than 40% chance that we'll be above average precip. So if you remember back to the beginning of May, it said that we were in roughly the, we had a just slightly greater chance of above normal precip for, for Colorado. We saw what happened there. Easily. Just, just exploded. <laughs> and yeah, and then um, it didn't say it didn't say anything about temperature last month for us. They had no gut feelings, but we were well below normal as we know. So, what do we think about these predictions? June continuing to be wet and June cold for Eastern Colorado. Yeah, I was looking at um, some of the long-range um, climate models, and they continue to show a stream of upper-level troughs that are coming in to the west coast of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, for much of June. And so we're going to bring in that moisture. We're going to bring in that lift uh, for a good potential for for rainfall. I mean, um, I think as we move more into June, though, I think um, climatologically the jet stream continues to move north um, into Canada as we go into the summer season. Um so, yeah. my thinking is maybe we'd see maybe less precipitation towards the end of June. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, that's part of why June is um, much drier than May. You lose that storm track; it starts heading north, and then there's a slight delay before the monsoon gets started. So, generally, June is dry. Well, not that dry, but drier than um, May. Than May, than yeah. the spring season, and not as wet as July. Which has a full blown monsoon pretty right. much the entire month. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what are they thinking with this? So, that pattern is going to stick around? It, it looks that way. I mean, I'm not a very expert um, long range forecaster. Right. <laughs> but just understanding what where the climate prediction center is coming from, I would um, trust them a little bit more. Um, and you were mentioning, uh, Ben, that they were taking into account maybe that the El Nino Southern Oscillation was actually strengthening potentially, and maybe that was influencing their monthly forecast. I think that's part of it, right? So mm-hmm. the models are now even hinting more towards this, uh, the El Nino, more so than last month. So an El Nino um, would lead to... Um, a strengthening Aleutian low um, over the Gulf of Alaska, mm-hmm. and that helps to bring a stronger subtropical jet um, into the southwestern United States, which helps to bring in several several upper-level troughs, um, which we have been experiencing for May, um, um, and which can lead to a cool and wet um, month of June. Right. So. Maybe a large part of what, of why they're forecasting a cool and wet uh, June is maybe partly due to Enso. Right. Yeah. And I remember that uh, the fact that we are in an El Nino pattern is also also supported um, Colorado State University's forecast of below average tropical cyclone development in the tropical Atlantic basin over the summertime and fall. So, and, uh, 
And it's primarily due in large part to the fact that the subtropical jet stream is stronger. And so unlike, unlike thunderstorms that you and I are accustomed to on a daily basis out here on the front range, tropical cyclones are thrive on on developing more vertically so they like to be more vertically stacked and what what the jet stream does is it basically causes these tropical cyclones to be less vertically stacked which will essentially weaken a tropical cyclone and so El, and so when we see this El Nino pattern it usually supports below average tropical cyclone development in the, in the Atlantic Ocean, Gulf of Mexico, Caribbean Sea, Bay of Campeche, so on and so forth. So we're, we're, talking, we're talking about one type of pattern for multiple different areas of the world and how it affects these areas. So it's very, it's very widespread how this one pattern affects something. Yeah, so El Nino is kind of a global um, teleconnection pattern that can influence global atmospheric circulations. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so our average precip for June is two, basically two inches. So a little bit less than May. Yeah. Yeah, so a whole inch less than May. But still a decent amount, still not our driest month. Yeah, not by a long shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they're saying there's a greater than 40% chance that we'll get more than that. So. That's good news. Yeah. It seems reasonable given the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Go with persistence in this case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, as all of us know, fellow forecasters, we know that the pattern can change rather dramatically. It can. Mm -hmm. Yep, all we take is just a little bit further north. Bring the ridge a little bit further north and get some feedback with uh, if you keep drying out the atmosphere and get warmer and warmer temperatures. Yeah. Do you see um <laughs> anything else we want to say for the month of June before we go on to um weather in the news? We're, uh, I think I'm good. Are you good, Ben? I'm feeling pretty good about June. All right. Um, the Climate Prediction Center did okay last month, so I think they're still on the right path. Yeah. Still with the same pattern, the strengthening El Nino. So. Okay. I'm happy with it. Yeah. All right. And if if we end up getting a pretty wet June, that would be good for um, the fire season. Yeah. It would help to prohibit. Um, wildfires. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been doing pretty well on that front. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and since um, the summertime leads into the monsoon season, we have um, um, discussing this potential um, severe weather. Um, and actually, we want to discuss with you a paper that was written recently that was discussing um, a long track tornado um, in 2008. Um, which had some interesting characteristics to it compared to previous tornadoes that we are, I mean, the dominant um, tornadoes that primarily 
form over eastern Colorado. And, mm -hmm. and if Matt wants to maybe discuss some of the, the factors that were important. So this, this tornado actually formed just a little bit east of Denver. Mm -hmm. And it kind of moved west northwest, um, yeah, e east of Fort Collins, towards the mountains, right? Um, roughly sixty mile tornado track, right? And it's a really long track for this part of the country. Yeah, exactly. So there was there was three things that were unique, right? So but yeah, so the storm formed on uh, May twenty second in two thousand eight, just before we moved here. <laughs> well, me and Andy. At least a couple of years, two years before we got here. We want to issue that this was um, a paper from collaboration between the National Center for Atmospheric Research, um, NOAA, as well as Colorado State University. But yeah, you so can go the, ahead. Right. Paper. So, so as uh, as Andy alluded, Andy had been alluded to this uh, this the storm track of this of this uh, supercell storm that produced a very strong tornado, stronger than what we're normally accustomed to, uh, took a, a trajectory from the south-southwest towards the north-northwest, which is normally a pattern that we're, that we don't see around here. So, or anywhere, really. Do we it, see that anywhere? Um, I mean, I... Maybe associated with hurricanes, moving that direction, but... For... For supercell thunderstorms, it's it's pretty rare. I mean, the the pat the weather pattern has to be has to be perfect for for us to see this kind of uh, storm track from to towards the north northwest. Yeah, and to, have, to have steering flow coming from the southeast. That's yeah. pretty. That would be pretty. Yeah. And so it has to be rare. Is the reason because it primarily wants to move? East southeast a tornado is that due to the Coriolis force? Um, maybe we, I guess we'd probably have to explain what the Coriolis force is to the public. But I don't think it really has anything to do with that. Do you? Do they really want to move? How I guess you if you get well, like a long track tornado, you know, several hours, it can be influenced by the Coriolis force. But I guess primarily the tornadoes are short lived. Right. And also we also we have to remember about about tornadoes is that they're um they're they're on a fairly small scale and so yeah. and so the so the two main forces that we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about in this case are the pressure gradient force and the centrifugal force and the balance between these two forces which is called which is called cyclostrophic balance. And and so in, in this so in this case the the uh, the Coriolis force isn't isn't going to play uh isn't going to play a huge role in in the ba in the balance of the storm. So, however, in in terms of the track of the storm, um yeah, usually usually the uh, the upper level flow pattern can play a can play a role in in where the storm goes, and there is and there is a term known as right movers, where the storm initially is going on one track, and that storm will eventually take take a take a beeline towards the right, 
from its initial track and and so that that may that may be what we're we're talking what we're talking about here okay in this case i'm just thinking more in a sense that you gotta remember that a tornado is attached to a giant cumulonimbus cloud right and that's going to be controlled by the you know mid-level flow Mm -hmm. you know 500 millibar flow that's going to determine which direction the storm's going to move right right and so we and so the the upper level pattern in this case we had yeah. we had this clo we had this closed low over over uh, Western Colorado embedded in a negatively tilted trough. I know oh. they stop you there, Matt. Um, yeah. What is a negatively tilted trough? So a ne so basically a negatively tilted trough is where is Good where question. the trough is. Is basically pointed essentially to toward towards the east of of uh, straight of straight due north and south. Mm -hmm. And so and Perfect. so what and so what this does. Or if you what, want to think about in terms of a clock, if you look at a clock, it would be basically pointed towards. It would be maybe the four. Or the yeah, three. pointed towards four o'clock or maybe even five o'clock. Anything east of six o'clock. So usually what we see when we have when we have a negatively tilted trough is a very is um very strong um speed very strong speed divergence and what we mean by speed divergence is that the winds start off traveling at one given speed mm -hmm. and then uh, at 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 a very at a given moment on on the east side of the trough or the northeast side of the trough, you start to see the winds accelerate all of a sudden, and and due and due to that acceleration, we see this we see this upper level divergence, which by by definition, upper level divergence supports the development of thunderstorm activity and at times very strong severe weather. Yeah, and so usually when you get a negatively tilted trough, either in the winter or even in the summer, is usually when you expect um, large amount of precipitation could be severe as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got that added divergence. Right, and and that's essentially what we saw here. I mean, we 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 saw this negatively tilted trough. We saw the steering flow in the mm -hmm. upper levels. Essentially, from the south southeast towards the north northwest, which contributed to the track of the storm being as as such. So, so it was it was very unique in in that. So, what is the predominant um, flow of these tornadoes? They move primarily west to east over Colorado, compared to a west northwest direction. Yeah, usually so. Yeah, you're so there's normally only a handful. Of tornadoes that actually had this westerly component mm -hmm. to their movement. Correct. Right, and this one was by far the longest of any of the westerly ones. Right. And the westerly ones were typically weaker in general. Yeah, and something else that was really interesting about the storm was that it formed in the late morning hours. And usually what we see with these, uh, these tornadic supercell thunderstorms is... Their formation occurs during the afternoon or late afternoon hours, where you where you've seen plenty of heating throughout the day, which supports 
a very unstable atmosphere and mm -hmm. significantly rising air, which can give rise again to these severe thunderstorms. Well, in this case, the storm occurred in the late morning hours. Yeah, so like eleven forty or something. Exactly in that area. Yeah, and, and temperatures weren't really warm either. It was right. Like 70 degrees, mm -hmm. something like that, low 70s. So. so what we so what we saw were the ingredients all coming together. We saw we saw the the perfect instability and and that balanced well with the perfect amount of wind shear in the atmosphere. And those two ingredients right there were what allowed for the storm to become a supercell and tornadic, despite the fact it was moving in a direction that we're not normally accustomed to it moving. Yeah, and um, for those that may not know, wind shear is, you can get two types of wind shear. You can get speed shear um, and also directional shear. Mm -hmm. um, and in this case, we both had probably speed and direction. Correct. Um, definitely direction and definitely speed, yeah. So. And so speed shear is when you get an increase of the wind with height, and directional shear is when the wind will then change direction with height. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, it was north northeasterly at the surface, and then kind of southeast aloft, I believe, or south. Yep. So yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So yes. you had both the speed and directional shear. Yes. Um, which helps to it's another key ingredient. Which helps to tilt the um, updraft in the storm, um, lead to a long-lived supercell. Right. Mm -hmm. And we we had we had the cape due 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 to the uh, due to the moist flow that we we were seeing at the surface. We we saw. Well, cape cape basically stands for convective available potential energy, which is a measurement of how buoyant the air is in, in our atmosphere how much how much it you know how much is it capable of rising freely on its own yeah exactly and so in this case the cape was greater than a thousand joules per kilogram which out here in the front range is is decently high it's pretty hot yeah that's significant <laughs> for sure yeah compared to say the midwest um, above 3,000 is actually pretty high. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Into the Great Plains, um, the Central Plains, Northern Plains, you, you can see even, even higher numbers than that. Yeah, yeah. So we had all those key ingredients. We had the moisture. We had, right. we had plenty of lift from divergence. <laughs> and we had plenty of wind shear. Yes. Which led to that long-track tornado. Mm-hmm. Anything else we want to discuss with that before we bid you adieu? No, we're not quite there yet. Well, we should we should also add that um getting there. Well, do do we want to get there yet, or what regarding some of the uh some of the forecasts that were issued on? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, so what do you want to talk about? So the SPC, the Storm Prediction Center, had issued. A moderate risk of severe weather for northeastern Colorado in in this case, which typically a, a moderate risk for severe weather means that they're they're expecting not they're not expecting a a major 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 tornado outbreak, but they are they are expecting some tornadic supercells to form with 
some potential at least for some of those tornadoes to be the long track variety. Mm-hmm. And so so certainly in this case the storm prediction center did a pretty good job of predicting what would happen on this day. Where exactly these storms would be, it's always it's always tough to say, but they they did uh they did do a, a good job of uh you know at least being in the ballpark of where they would be. Exactly. Yeah. I just so I think this I mean the tornado formed yeah, late morning, so pretty early. And you know, the weather service guys were probably eating some lunch. Not really expecting anything to happen when they stepped out. <laughs> I don't know, but but yeah, and then but yeah, they this superstyle formed even before they had tornado right. watches up. Exactly. Even before they were expecting anything to happen. And yeah, it turned out to be an yeah. EF three. Yeah. So they so uh they issued a severe thunderstorm warning on on the storm at I wanna say approximately eleven oh six. Yeah. And then they and then shortly after that they issued a tornado warning on the storm approximately 10 minutes after that and then fi- and then finally a couple minutes later i would say about 8 minutes after they issued the tornado warning there was there was the report of the tornado touchdown which which lasted for uh, as you guys alluded to a significant amount of time but Right after they, right after the tornado was reported, they issued mm-hmm. the tornado watch, and so certainly, of course, right? <laughs> yeah, so certainly they they were caught a little bit off guard in in this case, but they did get the warning out before the tornado touched down. So certainly that's that's one one thing that as a forecaster you want to make sure to get get right, so you can warn the you can warn the public of the impending danger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they've gotten much better with that over the last few years. They have. Mm-hmm. With this nice website they've built. Right. They didn't used to have any of this stuff. And they used to have those oblong-shaped watch boxes. Oh, yeah. You remember those? Oh, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they'd have cool. – they would include the entire county in the watch, even if you were way outside the county or outside they the They weren't very specific back then. It was just kind of <laughs> whatever. And, Yeah. And I remember back then, whenever a warning was issued, it was, it was a warning for an entire county. And nowadays, the warning cover well, you know, at times will cover multiple counties and only parts of it. So say you say there's a warning issued for Weld County, which is this large county to the <laughs> north of Denver. Yeah. Well, the, back in the day. You would be asking the question, okay, there's a tornado warning for Weld County. Okay, so what part of Weld County? <laughs> yeah, the part right next to us or the part 100 miles away. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that was the problem back then. Nowadays, yeah. they've correct, they have corrected that problem, and they've done a remarkable job. They have little cones yeah. fanning out from the current location of the storm mm-hmm. with their projected look, our movement. Yes. Um, yeah, let's just say it's improved. Yeah, they can basically basically draw where they expect the storm to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just like it's a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> right, exactly. That's essentially what they've done on a very short time scale, obviously. Yeah. Because tornadoes, you know, 
don't last nearly as long as hurricanes do. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure some of you guys are accustomed to uh perhaps watching the TV and seeing that mm-hmm. forecasters have these uh these projection cones out for tropical cyclones, tropical storms, hurricanes, whatever you want to call them. And they they it's it's essentially a guess on what the intensity of the storm's going to be and where it's going to go. And obviously it gets larger the further out into the future you forecast because the uncertainty is greater. So mm-hmm. yeah. Same thing here with tornadoes. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So just wanted to point out to remember to remind that this is this was the costliest tornado in Colorado history at $193 million in damage. Wow. So the hot spot for tornadoes in the front range is just east of Denver, right? Yes. Right along the convergence line. Yeah. On the Denver Cyclone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really want to discuss, but <laughs> we can discuss that for a future podcast. Yeah, a future sure. podcast. But there's there's this nice there's this great zone where the air converges and helps out in the whiff. But yeah, so that's typically the hot spot for where these storms will form, and then with the steering flow, they'll all get blown out into the plains. Right. You know, though the storm will develop and this just shoot out into non you know very sparsely populated farmland. Mm-hmm. But this storm, you know, formed in a similar region. But then was blown west right into the population centers, you know, tore through, not not the most populated areas in Colorado, but you know, it was still much more uh, densely populated and got you know close to Loveland and Birth Out and places like that. Yeah, and the hardest hit town um, it was Windsor. Windsor, yes. Have you guys heard much about Windsor? I haven't. I just wondered how big it was. <laughs> it- doesn't seem like it was that large. But I they have an airport or something, right? Or no, they were using Greeley data. Yeah, that's right. So well, it was south of Greeley. I know I know that whenever the tornado hit, there was an elementary school mm-hmm. that was significantly damaged from from that tornado. Mm-hmm. So I, I just remember Okay. So we'll give them at least ten thousand people. Right. <laughs> to have an <laughs> to have an elementary school. <laughs> I I could uh But there I, were Several hundreds of homes that were mm, yeah. either damaged or destroyed. Right. I yeah. One hundred ninety-three million in one fatality. Well, That's yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can pull up the population real quick. So that might be Boulder's best chance of getting a tornado is another day like this. From a, yeah, coming, coming. I mean, not that we want a tornado, but you so, know, something where it forms to our east and blows westward. So as of 2013, the population of Windsor, Colorado, is 20,422, which... Do the elementary school approximation. There you go. (laughs) However, the population back in 1990 was 5,000, so it's actually grown pretty significantly over the past 25 years. I bet, based on farmland. (laughs) Well, I mean, also, I would, I would, I may also contribute that to the fact that Denver is a, is is growing pretty quickly. Yeah, in every and, direction. In every direction, to the south, to the north, to the west, to the east. Maybe not to the west, but <laughs> certainly in all other directions. So right now, how the airport sits, twenty miles from downtown or something along those lines. Right. How long do you think before the entire city will engulf the airport? Because <laughs> now it's in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by cows, that is corn, sunflowers. <laughs> they probably have some of those protected area, right? Like um, open space, probably. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I know they own 
a large portion of the area around there. They were buying up farmers. Oh. Or buying up the farms around there for one reason or another. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, so they have have a walk down on a pretty decent-sized area, but the city keeps expanding. Yeah. That's kind of the dark area of the city. To the north, more industry and warehouses and that's true. Random factories, but yeah, I don't know if that would be a great population center. <laughs> but you know, Commerce City, FedEx, or the UPS capital of the area. <laughs> yeah, that probably also changed probably the the climate too, because right. I mean, the localized at least in mm-hmm. terms of temperatures maybe and other factors. Yeah, could it help with the whip for developing tornadoes in Northeast Denver? Maybe. 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 <laughs> that few extra added degrees. A little bit of more cape. Yeah. We might get more people to report on those tornadoes as well as the population grows. That's true. So there's something else to keep in mind. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So, that was, it, again, it was a very interesting event. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Something that we don't see very often out, out here and at least in this part of Colorado, if we if we are to see stronger tornadoes, usually they're going to be out further east in in places like Lyman and, and Fort Morgan mm-hmm. and in those general areas. So I agree. Yeah. Do you guys? So kind of a random question. Not random, but do you guys have any tornado stories? Oh no, I don't. I've never seen one. Now that we're on the topic. I have, I have one. I have one. Oh boy, oh man! So I'm liking it. When I was in my undergrad, um, I think it was senior year of undergrad. So, um, I was working at this private weather company as a assistant to the general forecasters, and they would forecast for the nation. But one of the forecasters was a tornado chaser. Mm-hmm. And so I went with him actually in April one year, and we drove to southern, southeastern Nebraska, um, Beatrice, uh, Beatrice, Nebraska, which is kind of southwest of Lincoln. And uh, we there was a moderate risk of severe storms, mm-hmm. um, potential tornadoes that day, and we just camped out near one of the high schools and just sat there, and sure enough, in the distance ahead of us, we saw a developing tornado, and um, it grew in size, and so we eventually made our way to get away from it. We stayed east of the tornado um, and stopped at occasional points along the way, turned back. There was at one point we were actually stuck in the hailstorm oh, wow. um, oh, of the thunderstorm. Uh, the supercell? The supercell. But we, we didn't we stayed far enough east of the tornado, but it reached a strength of, um, you know, above a hundred miles per hour wind speed. Um, uh, when they did a damage analysis. Of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my. So uh, that's the only tornado uh, I've so, seen. So wait, Nebraska is the state that holds the record for the biggest hail. I'm pretty sure. Or is it South Dakota? I know they had one that was over seven inches or something. Oh my. That's probably correct. Yeah. But so how big was this hail when you were in the storm? Um, it wasn't super large. I would probably say penny to quarter size. Oh, that's weak. It's weak for a tornadic storm. Ah, oh well. But uh, we <laughs> we made made sure to get out of it pretty quick because we didn't want to get any hail damage. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, 
but it was pretty cool because uh, yeah. the scary part was driving back to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going south um, towards Kansas City and then going east to St. Louis, and it was pitch black that night, and we had tornado warnings issued for that highway we were going south on, and you can't see anything at night. The, the tornado could have been just to our right, and we would have been engulfed by the tornado <laughs> so that was yeah. actually pretty scary that was a scarier part than the daytime yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry for laughing it's not funny at all <laughs> <laughs> which is i understood at that point why, why you don't want to chase at night because you just can't no, right. see anything exactly <laughs> unless you have night vision yeah yeah <laughs> so uh i should i should add i again i've never seen a tornado in person in my life however in uh, in April 2013, I was flying back home to Alabama from uh, from Denver, Colorado, and my uh, my my only stop along the way was in St. Louis. And while I was in the airport, I was about to board my flight, and the National Weather Service issued a tornado warning for the, for the area in St. Louis, and so. So uh, during that time, I'm I'm in the I'm in the airport terminal and I'm looking at this wind. I'm at basically the way the St. Louis airport looks is when you're looking when you're looking out towards the plains. Basically, you're you're you have an entire window that's the wall. And so basically, okay. I'm thinking, okay. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't want to stand near the near the wall because it's a window. <laughs> There's so, a giant death trap. Right. So the, my first inclination is to not stay there. So I so I go to the bathroom once I realize we're not going to be boarding the plane anytime soon. And according to what Andy said, uh, a tornado actually did do some damage to the to part of the airport. Which I didn't know because I had no, I didn't know where the tornado was. It was at night. I didn't see it, but oh, yeah. <laughs> certainly it did have some sort of impact on the airport. So that's probably the closest I've ever been to a tornado without actually knowing. <laughs> Which is pretty impressive, I would say. <laughs> right? But then we boarded the plane, and I made my way towards my destination. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I had. Three near tornado experiences. Three, wow, three. So the Lucky one, guy. the one most relevant to Colorado was um, two years ago when I used to live in Superior. I just remember I was at home one day. It was a weekday. I was working on my computer, and all of a sudden the tornado sirens started going off for Superior. I didn't even know they had. <laughs> I didn't know either. But they do have. If you want to live in Superior, they got tornado sirens. I don't know if they were going off in Boulder or not, but I, probably not. But there But I was just like, what's going on? And then I go outside, and it's like, tornado warning. There is a tornado. Get inside. <laughs> tornado <laughs> warning. Or something like it was something along those lines. But I've heard that before, but that was a... That was what they say here, I guess. That's an interesting siren. <laughs> yeah, it was really loud. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it turns out um, there was a tornado warning for Boulder County and Broomfield County. Oh wow. Um, and I don't think 
I think there was just a funnel cloud that ended up developing from that. But I didn't see it. So my balcony looked to the west. And, of course, I'm outside looking for this tornado. <laughs> I could see, like, Long's Peak. I could see, like, almost all the way to Pike's Peak. But I couldn't see, the, the you know, the funnel cloud behind, you know, the other direction. It was probably to the east when I was looking. But so I missed that one. But the sky looked pretty cool. Pretty ominous. And then my other two real experiences with tornado were when I was had an internship in um, Illinois in 2009. But so I was doing a research internship with the University of Illinois, and um, I lived there for pretty much May, June, July, and part of August. And um, yeah, I just remember like the very first week I got there, you know. There was this funnel cloud, <laughs> and they also had tornado sirens for that. Seems like every town in the Midwest, I guess, has those. But right. that's something I was kind of new to yeah, from the did. east. Well, yeah. But yeah, so we had so they were so those were going off, and I again went out on my balcony, and I could actually see the funnel cloud this time. It was to the north of town, but it was pretty far away, wow. and you know Illinois is as flat as can be, so you could see for miles. <laughs> it was basically no trees, because I was in the very you know north. Um, part of town, pretty much in right. a sketchy part of town, but because I picked the Craigslist uh, apartment. But <laughs> regardless, <laughs> I was uh, way at the north part of town. I could see this spawn cloud, and I remember just calling my mom and telling her. I was like, Mom, you're not going to believe there's this tornado. Second day I was here. She was like, what, Where is it? Is it over? I'm like, No, I'm looking right at it. <laughs> and she was like, Mad and scared, or I don't know what she was, her, what her feelings were, but. Which makes sense. But uh, I was like, Mom, it's nowhere near here. And then I just hung up. And then I don't think the funnel ever touched down. But that one went away. And then probably about a month later, same place, another uh, <clears throat> tornado warning. This time I was out actually working. And <clears throat> I worked on this farm, um, basically in this soybean field. It was kind of random, taking meteorological measurements. But this was extremely uh, you know, isolated. It was way south of town. Uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and you could hear, like, the distant tornado sirens. We're like, what's going on? And then, like, there was this ominous cloud just, like, came out of nowhere, and uh, it was like a shelf cloud, but there was no tornado for that one either. Uh, no tornado touched down, but I remember this big shelf cloud. Not shelf cloud, sorry, a wall cloud. Yeah, a big wall cloud moved um, uh, pretty much between the city and where I was, but no tornado, but I just remember this trampoline came blowing. Somebody's <laughs> trampoline came blowing through the field, Jeez. like towards us, and then this huge wind gust. We're like, "What is that?" And it's just like this trampoline rolling across the fields. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And it came in. Um, yeah, blew right into our basically just missed our experiment, but <laughs> but then this huge wind gust came. It wasn't impressive though. So that was my tornado experiences. And then today I was looking up because we we're on top of the tornadoes. I was looking up. You know where all the tornadoes were in my like near my hometown. I gotta ask my dad about this, but there is apparently a tornado report like literally less than half a mile from my house, an F two. Oh wow! <laughs> in 1980, but where, where I live is basically like woods and uh -huh. pretty sparsely populated. So I don't know who reported this tornado in 1980, <laughs> but I gotta ask my dad about it. that. Was before my dad even lived there, wow. so he probably wouldn't even know. But that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Didn't have, like, any other information. Just, like, F2 tornado. Right. Right next to my house. <laughs> so, I don't know what this was, but... Yeah, I'm going to ask my dad about that next time I talk to him. And so, that year in 2009, when you were in 
University of Illinois, or you were collaborating with them yeah. on this project. That's when you visited St. Louis, right, I believe? That was my only time I ever went to St. Louis. <laughs> oh, wow. And you had kind of a bad experience with the heat and humidity? Uh-oh. Yeah, man. I mean, Illinois, the heat and humidity is pretty bad. I mean, it's only three hours away from St. Louis where I was um, in university, but yeah, St. Louis. I don't know what it was, but like <laughs> being next to the river and like the amount of rain and just like everything was sweaty and just it was just disgusting. The evapotransfer. That was one of my worst weekends. <laughs> I I know exactly what. You're <laughs> and then the last day I was there, I ate. I went down on the wharf or whatever it was called. Does that exist? Maybe not the wharf. The the, uh, the riverfront. No, like uh, the it's like a brick road and. Oh yeah yeah like old town. What's that called? That is a name. River town or. Yeah, I, I can't. It's off like on the top of my tongue, but I <laughs> yeah, can't, me I can't think of the name. I don't know, but I went there and I went to get this lunch and got some like fried food or whatever. And then I drove back to Illinois. And as soon as I got home, I got um like oh, the pancreatitis. River, the riverfront. No, it was called something else. Uh, I don't know what it was, but there's like a bunch of bars and restaurants down there. Yeah, I know it's what like you mean. touristy. Yeah, I know what you mean. But anyways, as soon as I got home, I got pancreatitis, which is related to basically fatty foods. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, basically that whole summer I just ate chicken nuggets. <laughs> oh, there you go. That was the summer where I didn't cook anything. That was before I was a master chef. But and yeah, now he cooks. So that was my bad St. Louis experience. And now we hear that. Now he cooks delicious meals. He uh, does. Now I don't eat chicken nuggets. And I try to not <laughs> eat that much fried food, but he cooks delicious cookies as well. Yeah. And bakes delicious cookies. They're pretty good. <laughs> you still gotta have your occasional burger once in a while. Oh, well. that's, that's for sure. You know, that's you gotta live, sure. right? Well, you have to have protein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All your food groups. <laughs> yeah, precisely. But yeah, St. Louis was fun. Checked out the zoo, the botanical gardens. Yeah. The arch. Yeah. Rode the little tram to the top. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crowded up there, but the Mississippi. Yeah, I think I took a boat on the Mississippi. Nice. Checked out a Cardinals game on the outside. <laughs> Went to place some place called like Calco's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and got dinner. It's still there. It's still there. It's right across from the Bush Stadium. Saw it a few weeks ago. It's still there. <laughs> it was good. It was packed when I was there. But yeah, so that was my tornado experiences. Good. Nothing crazy. Yeah, I really hope to go chasing maybe sometime here in June with a few friends. It's possible. It's yeah, definitely you possible. You should go. Yeah. Some... See how my uh, work schedule turns out. Yeah, me too. I'd be up for it. <laughs> for tornadoes. <laughs> who's, who's, who's got the tornado chasing car? <laughs> <laughs> we need to figure that out. Yeah. Evan? Possibly. So should we sign off, guys? Yeah, it's getting pretty late. About to I roll over so. to Saturday. Yep. <laughs> Just to want to remind you that uh, this, this BoulderCast podcast is a is a product of our website, BoulderCast.com. Um, and you can get all of our podcasts on our website or your favorite iTunes or your podcast app. And just be sure to stay up to date with our website, um, Facebook, Twitter, as well as our blog posts. Yeah, it's getting to summer. Matt's going to have more time. He's going to be going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so... We just want to wish you a great weekend and enjoy the really warm temperatures early next week before we go into another wet weather wet weather pattern. And uh, Ben, if you want to sign us off. Yeah, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, hope you join us next time. 
and we will be out of town next week, so we will not be podcasting, right? We'll hopefully be up in Yellowstone and the Tetons, up yep. in northwestern Wyoming. Going to be venturing into the cold unknown, cold and snowy north. <laughs> Just hoping we won't get into that influence of that upper-level trough. Yep, so hopefully we'll be back in two weeks. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Take it easy. Take it easy, guys. Adios.